I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode. I told, I spoke at a group of 400 female CEOs. I was the only male to be brought into the room and they wanted the male perspective on women in the workforce, women in leadership. And I said, if you could get along with each other, you could take over the planet. But the the problem that goes against women is they really cut each other down behind each other's backs and, and that's what's killing them. But yeah, they're better. I think they're better at everything. I think they are absolutely in the business world better than every single male that's ever been. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. In this episode, we'll be embarking on a journey to unlock the potential of female entrepreneurs revealing their unique strengths and qualities that have the power to reshape the corporate landscape. We'll shed light on the synergy that emerges when women collaborate and explore how it can truly revolutionize the business and leadership paradigms. Throughout our conversation, we'll touch on several vital subjects that are bound to transform your perspectives on business, leadership, and the role of women in the workforce, such as the strengths of female entrepreneurs, including their remarkable attention to detail and exceptional teamwork skills, the significance of fostering an inclusive and diverse work environment. We'll discuss best practices for hiring and how to tailor job postings to attract the finest candidates, all while keeping diversity at the forefront, the power of gender-specific marketing strategies and how they can significantly impact your business endeavors, allowing you to tap into new and dynamic audiences. Join us on this illuminating journey as we emphasize the importance of embracing inclusivity and diversity in your company culture. On this episode, we hang out with my buddy, entrepreneur, best-selling author of multiple fantastic books, and the champion of the chief operating officer. He's back, Cameron Harold. This is one of the smartest guys in business I know. He's a powerful thinker, and he's a giant in the business coaching world. On this episode, you'll learn how to make sure your company is not beige, why simple is so powerful, and how to get free PR, which also happens to be the name of Cameron's new book. For more on Cameron's background and uh, our show notes, go to Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. And uh, also, you'll be able to check out the key takeaways from this episode. Now, as Joy Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. Read Vivid Vision. I'm like, no, actually, not a good book for you. You should all read Meeting Suck, or you could all read Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, but Vivid Vision would be a horrible book for employees to read. I love your whole thing on Meeting Suck. I just love it. It's like, meetings don't suck. You suck. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's so simple. I you know, I remember when you said it to me. It's like, hey, listen, if the meeting starts at noon, finish the last meeting at eleven forty-five. Fifty-five, yeah. So then you got time to walk down the hall, talk to your assistant, get a cup of coffee, go to the bathroom, right? Like, don't don't it's, be an asshole. It's pretty yeah. simple, right? It's pretty simple. But you know, uh, I think you know I thought a lot about our discussion, and of course, now living in the world that I live in, I'm inundated with sort of wannabe management coaching guru assholes like there's a million people trying to be you i mean you know sure. that right and they're terrible and some of them are even worse than terrible they're like john lee dumas knockoffs or gary v knockoffs or tony yeah, robbins the, knockoffs those are the sad ones are the ones that are trying to be something they're not authentically but i'll tell you one of my clients who i coach um I'm not going to say like the space that I want to protect, but they're one of my clients that I've coached had to fire a general manager and the the general manager was inept, like very inept, uh, 
financial issues, taxes not being paid, massive mistakes with the locations. Just like there's no way that this guy should have been managing what he was managing. They mishired him. They gave him way too much rope. And, and then six months later, like, you know, uh, they had to fire him. Three months later, they would find out that this guy's now starting to be a management coach and he's trying to coach smaller entrepreneurial companies <laughs> with all of these things. I'm like, oh my God, like you're horrible. Like it's worse than the blind leading the blind, right? It's just like, <laughs> it's hard. It's scary. Yeah. Why is it everybody wants to be a management coach these days as opposed to actually do the work? Doing something? Yeah. I, I, think, I think they think, I don't know. I think they think it's easy or it's, it's astounding. I mean, first it shows how big the market is for, for coaching and for personal development, but yeah, sometimes you got to go just actually do work. Um, yeah. So, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear about all that personal stuff, but you, you, you look great. You sound great. Thank you. Yeah. Feeling good. I'm, I'm had a great trip to uh, Ireland this summer with my kids and business is going really well. I had a, an amazing uh, sixth time at Burning Man this year. That was great. My event that I just held last week was solid. Everything is just kind of been a, been a good few months. That way. What happens at your event? What do you what do you do at the Cameron Herald World? <laughs> well, we we yeah we started the only um, the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. So we started something called the COO Alliance. Yeah, and um, you know there's all of these events for entrepreneurs where you've got YPO and EO and Vistage and Genius Network and Baby Bathwater and all these amazing events for entrepreneurs to go to. And then there were these events for marketers and lawyers and engineers, but there was nowhere for the true second in command. And so we started this event called the COO Alliance. And now we've got second in commands from three countries that come in and participate and they share information and resources with each other. They mastermind together and it's all, how do they grow themselves into be a stronger COO? And also how do they grow their company? Yeah. Uh, And just totally different personality profiles too. They're just very different characters. Like you tell the group of COOs, okay, we're starting back up at 1030. They're all sitting in their seats at 1028, where you tell a group of entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I'm coming. I told you I'm coming. I'm like, dude, it's 15 minutes late already. Like, what are you doing? Um, uh, I love that. That's so classic. And am I wrong? I mean, I'm not an expert in this area, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of COO things. If I'm a COO, there aren't a lot of things I can go to and no, there's nowhere. content for me. And there's there was really, lots of content for CEOs. Yeah, there was really... Yeah, there was nowhere. There was nowhere for them to go. Um, there was nothing for them to really, other than the maybe leadership books or leadership content. They would go to these entrepreneur conferences. They would often show up at the entrepreneur events, but they just didn't quite fit in. And um, so that's why we wanted to give them their own space. In fact, I even started a podcast around six months ago called the Second in Command Podcast, which is only for, we're trying to get the chief behind the chief. You know, everyone interviews the CEO. Everyone you know, wants Jesse Itzler's story. I want his COOs. Everyone wants the CEO of um, you know, Facebook. I want, I want you know, the COOs. I, I want to know the rest of the story. And both sides are true. But it's like if you asked a husband, how did you raise your family? He'd have a very true story. If you asked his partner, how did you grow? The-? She'd have a very true story. Both of them are true, but both have very different perspectives. Yeah. So, we're, uh, so I want to share that information and insights with the COOs as well. I'm not trying to do what you do. I'm not trying to be a podcaster. I'm trying to deliver great value. <laughs> I think that was a great insult. I'm not trying to do what you do. I'm trying to deliver value. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, like, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be like a professional in the space where this is my whole zone. Cause I'm not good at it. Like, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to have the, the interaction and, and like, even the fact that we're just sitting here chatting and it's all being recorded is I'm like, God, it's so natural and simple. Whereas I'm, I don't know, formulaic and, Kind of COO. <laughs> well, I think it's great that you started a COO podcast. It, and the other thing is, you know, you've pulled a niche down, right? I mean, there was a giant, you think about any C-level executive and there's a bunch of shit for them, right? There's a ton of HR shit and a ton of CMO shit and a ton of CEO shit and a ton of CFO shit, et cetera, et cetera. And it's sort of crazy there wasn't a ton of COO shit. Well, and again, yeah, the COOs tended to migrate towards the entrepreneurial systems and thinking. But I'll give an example, a really good example. If you read the book, Good to Great, it's amazing. It's really, really strong at these strategic 30,000 foot ideas that you really need to grow a great company. Like, yep. you know, uh, getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, everyone in the right seats, or the hedgehog concept, or level five leadership. But he doesn't teach us how to do it. He doesn't teach 
how to get the right people on the bus. He doesn't teach how to get the wrong people off the bus. He doesn't teach how to get the right. right. And the COOs want to know how. The entrepreneurs like, yeah, that's right. Bring all the right people in. Well, fuck, how do you do that? Like, what's your recruiting strategy? What's your interviewing you know methodology? What's your um, reference check process? How do you actually onboard them? How do you train them? How do you you know build culture? How do you ensure that they're that they're growing their leadership skills? And the CEOs like, fuck, I don't care. Yeah, just level level five leadership. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? So there's a really good zone for the entrepreneurs to know what needs to get done, and then the second in commands need to know how to do it. Yeah. And I think that was the bridge. And I didn't even realize I was doing a lot of that. I used to coach a lot of CEOs. Now I coach a lot of their COOs. So I try to get the CEO to know that the company needs to grow, but the person that should have the skills is actually their second in command more so than the entrepreneur. So one of the big things I love about you is on one hand, you're sort of very uh, common thinking, but at the same time, your common sense that's uncommon. Yeah, it's so I follow a lot of the grandmotherisms of business, I call them. And then I also, you know, you see the fly trying to get out the window and it keeps banging on the window and it's going to try harder and harder. And then it like it ends up dead sitting on the window ledge. I see every business person out there trying so hard. And I'm like, but there's a door. It's right here. It's open. Just turn and fly out the door. And I just wish they would use the, the cheat sheets, the simple little, little cheat sheets. And and why would you try so hard when there's a system already in place? So I try to give them those little cheat sheets because I don't want them banging their head on the window forever. So all of my stuff tends to be very simple to execute, partially because I'm simple. I grew up in Northern Ontario in Canada and I, I you know, had a 63% average in high school and the same in college. So I don't, I can't- At least you over- went to college. <laughs> well, only because it was only because it was there and, and it was the path, right? I think if I look back now, you know, maybe I wouldn't have. I learned more running college pro painters as a franchise than I ever learned in school. But yeah, so I, I just see the simple solution. So that's just what I try to, to run with. I don't overcomplicate it. I don't understand complicated. Yeah. I love the way you think. And I'll tell you, there's one big thing that you taught me last time we were together that has stayed with me. There's this mantra in Silicon Valley that says, we only hire A players. And sure. I had bought it hook, line, and sinkle, sinkle, sinker. <laughs> and I, and I, I repeated it many times and, and so forth and so on. And you said to me, that's absolutely bullshit. You can't have a company full of A players. Yeah, it's interesting. I forgot I told you that. But yeah, you can't get a company full of A players because you've got your A players are your racehorses, your B players are the workhorses. And I said the other day at a, a veterinary conference, the C players should go to the glue factory. And they're like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm serious. Um, it's impossible to have a complete fleet of A's. You actually need a bunch of people that are going to grunt out the work and work super hard. And you know they can't possibly be magically inspired, right? But they need to be really damn good and, and be a part of the culture and fit. So I just think you need to be real honest with yourself. And I don't know what maybe a sports analogy might be, but I guess it's like baseball. You just need a bunch of really good solid singles and doubles and you'll win the game. You don't need everybody hitting home runs. Yeah. And so when I'm recruiting or when I'm building my company, how do I think about sort of racehorse versus workhorse? I think it's it's based on for the money that you're willing to pay, what results do you need out of that person that you're hiring for? And have they done it before? So the key is, have they actually done what you need them to do? I think more often than not, we hire people that know how to do something. But like, I know how to win a gold medal. I know how to break an Olympic record. I know how to break a world record, but I've never done any of it. Would you rather have someone who's broken world records or someone who knows how to do it? You know, I know how to run a two-hour marathon, but there's a guy the other day that just ran one in two hours and 39 minutes. Throughout two hours, two hours, one minute and 39 seconds. Like, I think I'd rather have that guy than me. I know how to do it, but shit, he can beat me by two hours. I, I've, well, I've run one marathon and it was four hours and something, mm-hmm. um, plus or minus four and a half hours. I can't remember exactly. Same zone. Yeah. But like, and that was damn near impossible. <laughs> that was freaking hard, man. I did the Portland marathon, same rough time. It's hard. Like <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. But now you know how to run a two hour marathon, right? Just run a bunch of four forties. Great. And land on your toes. I don't know. Shit. Yeah, but, sure. And, um, I just need to rewire my entire body, 195 pounds, six foot body. <laughs> or, or, or use a bicycle. Yeah, like exactly. Or, or there's, um, have you heard of these things? They call, they're called the Santa Cruz one wheel. It's yeah. like a skateboard with this giant, yeah. have you seen it? With yeah, this giant, the middle of the middle, they're great. Yeah. It's, um, it's sort of what, where the, um, it's like a segue that 
when, yeah exactly small um yeah. they're awesome maybe if i had one of those going yeah we could do it but that, that's the same as a company like is it and is it possible to have a whole bunch of marathoners no but you can have a few marathoners and you can have a, a bunch of people that run 10ks and you can have a bunch of people that are at least not sitting on their couch smoking all day you know i i think a lot of companies have a lot of the the kind of very C players and they might think they're bees, but if they really sat down over a beer with me, I could probably show them that they, they're not bees. And you do know? you ever want a C player? I would. They they're going to the glue factory. Yeah. Or government's always hiring, right? Like the government loves C players because they can manage everybody else. So. <laughs> <sighs> and am I wrong? But, or is this ter- make me a terrible person? But most C players don't really have any ambition. Yeah, I think I think that's a key trait to be looking for the real self-driven people, the the people that wake up in the morning wanting to learn, the people that wake up in the morning wanting to work hard, the people that are wanting to train either in their personal lives or business. Those self-driven people are going to be working harder in your company. I even had Fortune magazine ask me, I think it was 2003 or 2004, um it was Fortune small business and they said, "How do you motivate your employees?" And I said, "I don't motivate employees. I hire motivated people and then I show them where we're going and I get out of their way and I remove obstacles." And it's just a lot easier to have those motivated B or C or A players who you point the direction with that vivid vision or the goals or the core purpose and they understand and they just drive towards it. And then you help support them. You help align them. You help remove obstacles versus trying to manage and hold accountable people and make them do stuff. Like, what's the point of that? Do you think you can motivate anybody? No, not at all. I think people, I think you can, you can um, inspire but I think somebody wakes up in the morning motivated. You know, the, it's funny. Years ago, um, my ex-wife said, "I said something about I'm super excited going off to work today." She's like, "Oh, you're so you're so lucky that you love what you do." I was like, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Well, most people don't love what they do." I'm like, "What do you mean? What do you mean they don't love what they do?" And she goes, "No, like most people go to jobs every day and they really don't enjoy it." And I was like, "Like who?" And she started naming all of our friends. And I was like, "God, you're right. Like I'd never, I'd never really." It never dawned on me that nobody really liked what they did. They were hard workers and they maybe enjoyed parts of their career, but I was inspired building the company and I loved doing what I did. And I think that was the magic that happened is if you can inspire people with that vivid vision and where you're going. And it's why people loved working for Apple, even though it's such a tough company to be with, is they were inspired about building these insanely great products that would challenge the status quo and change the human race. And they're like, fuck yeah, let's do this. And we'll work 17 hours a day and kill ourselves while doing it. It's because there was that greater purpose, right? So well, you can put a, what's you, the you old put a motivated person into that. If I, if I have a what, I can handle any why, or there's some expression like that. If I have right? a why, I can handle any what. Yeah. If Did I have I that backwards. Core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, I, meant, I have a, if I I have a why. You said. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, if you know what your core purpose is, then it makes it easy. It's, I used the analogy, I used it this morning, of the three guys that are making bricks. And they asked the first guy, what are you doing? He said, I'm making bricks. He said, the second guy, what are you doing? He goes, I'm making a, a wall and I'm building the bricks to make a wall. And they asked the third guy, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm, I'm building a cathedral to worship God and I'm actually making the left wall of the cathedral and I get to build or make the bricks that'll build the left wall of the cathedral. You know, yeah. which of those guys shows up in the morning really excited? Well, it's the guy who's, who's building the cathedral. Yeah. Context matters a lot, right? Yeah. 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 And, it, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, Jim Getz from Sequoia says we look for mission-driven founders, right? Yeah, they, they got to be on a mission. In other words, they're they're, they're pre-motivated. Well, yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you watched the uh, the Elon Musk interview on Joe Rogan the other day, but it, I've known one of, I've known Elon for, for a long time, and not you know not super well, but enough that I've had enough you know a number of conversations with him one on one, and it it really floored me as to what his real mission was with tesla like i didn't realize the depth of his pain about the carbon monoxide that we're putting out into the world with gas vehicles and how it's kind of like a um a course that we shouldn't be on and he's he's really really worried about it in a in a very deep personal way that the electric vehicle is really the big cure to this potential disaster facing human race and i'm like shit that that is different from wanting to build a cool car company yeah yeah way different yeah, a fascinating dude for sure. And I, I also thought he got, um, I thought the media got it all wrong about that. He got a lot of heat, I'm sure you saw, for smoking pot and drinking oh, scotch. Oh, fuck. It, give me a break. Like, well, yeah, I mean, drinking scotch, get way over it. And the fact that, like, pot is legal in, in California, he took a drag off it. The guy's not sitting doing drugs every day trying to run a company. Like, oh, yeah, get over it for sure. Well, yeah. And, and but, my whole big point was, 
don't expect a dude who's an outlier amongst outliers not to do outlier shit. That's why we like him. That's why we admire him. He's a massive, he's trying to fucking put, you know, tunnels under LA and build developments on Mars for fuck's sakes. This is, this guy's a guy who's out there, way out there. And so he's, he's also going to tell the truth. He's also going to tell the truth. Well, that was something I really respect is like, you know, they asked Bill Clinton, have you smoked marijuana? Yes, but I didn't inhale. And we're like, bullshit. And they ask Obama, you know, on this, and they're in the same party, right? They're both Democrats. They ask Obama, did you smoke marijuana? He goes, yes. Did you inhale? And he goes, well, that's the point. Like, of course yeah, I inhaled. Of course I inhaled. Right? So like, how, how are we, and it's going to be legal. I mean, get over it, people. And the other thing is like, that was two hours and 15 minutes into one of the most brilliant insights into one of the most brilliant thinkers, thinkers of our time. And that's what they focused on. I mean, I my know. God, this, this guy went into some areas that were, were some pretty spectacular thought concepts. Well, and the other part of it was, uh, and maybe this sounds self-serving, but um, I think we live at a time, Cameron, where so many CEOs, so many executives are so media trained and so buttoned down by lawyers that when they go do stuff, you know, you see the typical CNBC interview after a company announces its numbers and yeah. it's just bullshit talking points, legal drivel. And so to actually have a real leader like that kick back and have a conversation and share what they really fucking think, you know, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was an amazing interview. I thought Joe did a spectacular job taking him into places and Elon did a great job just staying there and, and really opening up both his soul and his mind on stuff. I thought it was fantastic. I think we need a lot more of that. Yeah, amen, hallelujah. Now, the other one I wanted to uh, bounce around with you is um, I hear this word a lot, empower. And when it really tweaks me is when somebody says, oh, well, I wasn't empowered to do that. I, I go back to the better beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. Like you're, the reality is if you make a decision and it's aligned with your company core values and it's aligned with your core purpose and it's you know within your budget, then make the damn call because guess what? You're empowered. And every CEO or every supervisor, if you do good and you get the job done, you make, they're going to be happy about it. And the reality is as long as you stay within those lines, if you make a mistake, you're not going to bankrupt the company. Like I don't know a whole lot of leaders that wouldn't be happy about people making empowered decisions. I think it's a bit of a cop-out. Well, and I sort of view it a little bit along the motivation line that we were just on, which is you're either, you either empower yourself or you don't, right? Yeah. Like, I I, how can I empower you? You can find something I say empowering. I get that. And that's to me along the same lines of inspiring. But I got to empower my own ass ultimately. Well, and may, maybe it's, there's a cultural shift that can happen with some of those companies. Again, I, I think there is the truth that there's an awful lot of companies out there that are horribly average. Um, and I talked to a CEO the other day in Montreal, Canada, and she said something about, um, you know, it's a tough job market to find great employees. And I went, actually, no, it's a really easy market to find great employees. The problem is great employees won't work for average companies. And it kind of hit her as a real slap across the face. And she's like, oh my God, you're right. We're horribly average. And I said, I think most companies are very beige. And so I think there's, there probably is a huge absence of, of companies that are truly empowering people or are providing great cultures or are hiring A players. I think we're, we tend to hear from a lot of the great companies. You know, in Canada, there's 1.46 million companies. Um, and, and when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, we ranked as the number two company in the country to work for. So that, you know, that means we beat out you know, 1.46 million others. Um, there's got to be 700,000 that are horrible companies to work for. You know, there's got to be another three or four hundred thousand that are horribly average to work for. That's an awful lot of people working in pretty average places that may not be empowered. But yeah, there's a reason Dilbert is funny, and there's a reason Office right. Space is a classic, right? right. <laughs> like that. But you can also. But but here's my point to them: you are empowered to quit. Yeah. Like no one actually is going to tell if if it's that hard and it's that bad that you can't do the things that you're saying you want to do. Quit. Go go because there's lots of places that would love to have you, and where so you will be empowered. If you wake up one day and you realize, you know, and you're in the leadership position and you realize, you know what, I'm at a beige company. This is, this company's fucking beige. What would I do? I would, I would work on my resume and I would push it out to my network and tribe. And I'd say, here, you've got an A player who's willing to work somewhere. Here's what I'm great at. Who wants me? And, and the reality if I'm is- one of the principals in the company, I'm one of the owners, I'm an executive. And I realize my company, the thing I oh. helped create <laughs> is fucking beige. Then I, I would I would actually start to figure out who to rip off and duplicate from because the reality is you don't have to be smart enough to figure it out. People have figured it out for you. 
that was that was a lesson I learned very early on is all of the cheat sheets on how to build a great company are already there. I just need to read about them, learn them, and put them in place. I don't have to be smart enough to figure it out. The answers are there. Now we got Google. Now we can actually find the answers quickly. It's interesting you say that. You know, any business problem, you can just Google it, and there's going to be at least a start point, right? Yeah, totally. It's easy. Yeah, like I've been trying to uh, figure out um, how to do better uh, direct marketing and email marketing for the podcast, right? Sure. And it's like, well, when you Google, by way of example, uh, awesome email copy, like there's a lot of great shit that comes up. (laughs) Yeah, I just I just grabbed one. I'm not going to name the company because it's actually a CEO that I'm starting to coach, but he's a spectacular copywriter. He's one of the best in North America easily, and he's recognized as being that. And I'm actually going to be coaching him on growing his company. But I keep seeing him do these Facebook posts and I'm like, shit, that's good. Like I can just, I can cut a few words and put my company name in. I can change a few phrases and like, okay, so you're not selling XYZ. I'm selling the COO Alliance. I'm like, this shit works. Like I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And like, although the one area I have not been able to solve for is, uh, I think I pretty much suck on social media. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how to get any better. I think I just suck. I don't know. I can't figure out how to get myself well, to be. Here's And here's where the school system screwed us up. The school system said, if you suck at social media, you should get a tutor and learn how to be better in social media. And I'm like, bullshit. If you suck in social media, you'll probably always suck in social media. You should keep interviewing people on podcasts because you're really, really good at it. <laughs> what, you, what you should do is hire somebody who can be in the background and they can manage your social media for you. They can tell you what to say, or they can say it for you. They can run your accounts for you. They can reply as you and let you do more of what your unique ability is. Like I should do more sales, but I hate sales. So I am hiring a salesperson. I should do, you know, I don't like doing it. I like doing this. I like coaching people. I like speaking, but everything else drains me. Yeah. I, I try, I I like, I like it. This may sound crazy. I generally, I like interacting with people on social media. I've had bad interactions, but mostly they're good. So I, I like the, there's a human part of that, but like, I don't think I'm a very good tweeter. <laughs> yeah, so you don't tweet. I mean? hire, hire some 24 year old girl to tweet as you under your account. If you think you should be doing that stuff. Right. The reality. Well, and actually you say, if I, sh- I don't even, I don't know anymore. I, I think the answer is probably yes, but I'm not, sure anymore maybe maybe the data the data will start to tell you whether or not your audience is there or not like i told my sister the other day put out a blog post i'm like stop stop no one's reading blogs it was like that was really 2000 that's 18 years ago people stopped reading blogs about four years ago and they started listening and devouring podcasts and youtube so she's amazing on tv she should just do she should take whatever she wrote a blog about and she should put it on youtube because she's she's 150,000 people playing in her co-ed intramural sports that would wow. love to listen to her on video, but they're not going to read the blog. So just say what you're going to say on the blog, say it in video and do a quick one cut. It'll take you probably, probably take you 15% of the time as well. It'll be way faster. Yeah. Well, and I think, and this goes to the growth of podcasts I, and, and YouTube for that matter. I don't know. Maybe you have an insight here, Cameron. I think a meaningful percentage of us think out loud. I know I do. I, yeah, you, for sure. You, you sound like you do. And I'm also an out loud learner. Like I, I love people talking to me. I always have since I was a little kid. Well, it's easy to devour that content too. You can listen to it while you're driving. You can listen to it while you're having a run. You can listen to it on the rowing machine or the bikes. You can, you can actually, you can be in the shower and have the stereo turned up on your Sonos. You can actually devour that content and learning in a very easy format. And then it can also be repurposed. She could take her video on YouTube. It could be pushed on Facebook by someone else. It could be, it could be um, stripped using rev.com into some blog posts or tweets or, or Facebook messages that somebody could do from the Philippines. So she, she could do like a one thirty second video that could be repurposed 22 different ways yeah. by somebody for four bucks an hour, but she yeah. shouldn't be sitting down writing a blog. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Now you have uh, this new book. I do. I Um, remember us talking about how to get awesome PR. And I thought, man, you are so fucking smart about this. And then you you wrote a book about how to get awesome free PR. Well, I, I learned how to get free PR 32 years ago. So when we were running College Pro Painters and I was up in Sudbury, I was taught how to call the media and how to pick up the phone. In those days, how to get through the gatekeeper because you had to get past the receptionist. There was no email in 86. And it was really easy to get free PR. I was on TV and the newspapers and magazines. I'm like, shit, this is easy. Like year after year, I was getting it. And then I taught a bunch of franchisees how to generate it and they were getting free PR. And then we did it at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it was the same stuff, different day. 
and and that's all we've ever done is is so I just decided to, to kind of codify it and teach people again because it's a fly getting out the window. Everyone thinks that journalists go find stories. I'm like they don't. They don't have time. Like every journalist in the world woke up this morning and thought, "What the heck am I going to re- write about today?" Well, if you pick up the phone and call them and say, "Hey, do you have two minutes? I have a good story for you." They're going to write about your story. So we so I decided to write it, and I had the book probably 95 percent done. And um, I was talking to a client of mine that I used to coach out of Ottawa, Canada, a company called Canvas Pop, and he has another company called DNA Eleven. And he's got this, these amazing art companies that he's generated a pile of PR for over the last 10 years. I was telling him about the book. He goes, we should co-author it. I'm like, yeah, it's almost done. He goes, no, no, but I know all the digital PR. Like, I know how to really leverage the digital. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I just co-authored with Adrian from Canvas Pop. And he kind of took all my content and then added his. So there's chapters that are, here's what Cameron would do. Here's what Adrian would do. Here's kind of offline, online. And yeah, um, yeah so we come out with that in December. Called yeah, PR. A- Adrian's an impressive guy. So the book comes out in December. Yeah, you know Adrian? Yeah, and as you were talking, I'm trying to remember where I met him. Um, well, I, he's L.A., um, Santa Monica. You might have met, like, I don't know if you went to Baby Is he Bat- one of the GoBros? Is he in GoBundance? He, I don't know if he's gone to GoBundance or not. He may have. He, I know he's gone to Baby Bathwater, and he's gone to 2I, 2IC. Um, he was at War Room recently. I feel um, like I know him. <laughs> great guy, and and has been in a ton of media, a ton of a ton of ton of media. Yeah, yeah. but I, I feel like I actually might have met him. But you know, he's good problem. friends with some really solid. He was really good friends with the founders of Shopify back when they were you know twenty employees. Um, you know, he's known them from from the very beginning. So he's he's around a bunch of tech tech people. Yeah, well, he's uh seems like a very uh, impressive guy. Mm-hmm, for it sure. says he lives in Ottawa, Canada now. Yeah, he's Ottawa. LinkedIn profile. Ottawa, LA, and Vegas. They've got operations in Vegas. The head office is uh, Ottawa. And then I know he was in Santa Monica for a long time as well. He goes back and forth depending on the weather. Like he spends winters in LA and summers in Ottawa. Yeah, well, I know how that works. Although, <laughs> I don't know. I got to a place in my life where uh, I, I didn't want to have multiple homes anymore. Yeah, I'm getting there too. You know, uh, it's just like you get to a place in your life where it's like just simple. Yeah, kind of like it here. Yeah, I'm in, well, I'm in, in one of the right most beautiful now. cities in the world. Yeah, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm sitting here looking out at the mountains and uh, the ocean in downtown right now from my living room, and it's it's pretty spectacular. I'm I'll tell you, if it weren't for the rain, you guys get a lot of rain in Vancouver, right? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, but well, we, maybe we'll bottle it and sell it to California. Fuck, we're going to need it. <laughs> you know, we had um, Paul Holland on the podcast, the, the genius VC from uh, Foundation Capital. And he built what at the time was the greenest house in America. And he's, you know, educated on, on all of these environmental things. Um, and he thinks that in our lifetime, the Sierras are essentially not going to be a good source of water for California anymore. Like this. Oh, for had, sure. I, I had it really going to happen in our lifetime. Yeah, I think it will. I actually had a discussion with the, uh, so the governor of Arizona read about me in Forbes magazine two years ago in the print edition and um, asked me to come in and talk to him about vision. So I talked to Doug Ducey. He was the founder of Coldstone Creamery. He's now the, the governor of Arizona. At the end of an hour talking about vision, I said, I need to ask you about something. I said, I feel like it's the emperor has no clothes and no one is talking about this issue, but all of the water was put underground and in the aquifers over millions of years, and we drank it in a hundred. So we can't say that we're going to replenish it with a big rain in the Sierra Nevadas or a big rain in, in Colorado. Like we can't, It can't fucking rain enough to replenish what we're doing, and we're not supposed to live here. It's a desert. Like I'm sorry, but Nevada and Arizona and New Mexico and, and much of Texas and California we're not supposed to be living here. And sure, we could drink that water. To be snakes, right? Well, it's, it's desert, man. Like these trees and palm trees and like, it ain't, it's not real. So it's not sustainable. And at some point, we got to bring the water in from the ocean and desalinate. And they're doing it in the Middle East. They're, they're doing it all over Bahrain and Saudi and Dubai and Qatar. It's all desalinated water. But if we don't start that, let's say Arizona's like, oh, California wants the water off the Colorado River, so we lose 50% of our water supply, we're screwed. And, and we can't say, well, we'll start desalination. It's going to take you seven years to build the plants. Like, we need to be doing this now before we need it. And no one's having the discussion. And I, start, I kind of feel a little bit like Elon going like, we're playing a very, very dangerous game. Well, and here's the one I don't understand about California. It drives me nuts. 
So there's all these government incentives in place for solar, right? There's zero government incentives, at least last time I checked, for uh, water capture. And so I, I don't know why it isn't law now in California that if you're going to build a new office building or you're going to build a new home, you, you got to do rain capture. Yeah. I, I don't get that. Like, there's a lot of water. I mean, it comes from the sky. We don't get enough of it, but at least we get some of it. And then the other thing is, and, um, you know, we've had him on twice now, Jeff Denham. He's a, a Patagonia-sponsored surfer turned entrepreneur, and he's trying to solve the problem of um, uh, all the toxic shit that firefighters use for these, fire, these gi- giant fires that we have. But I didn't know this. The junk that comes out of, um, uh, you know, they call it Class A foam. Okay, it's all yeah. toxic. Sure, for sure. And so when they drop, you know, this stuff on a forest fire, after the forest fire is done, the entire area is essentially a toxic waste dump. Yeah, well, that's all we're doing. Like, we're, we're literally destroying the world. And it's really, dis- it's, you know, think about the Mayans who all of a sudden disappeared. And you wonder why. Well, that's what we're doing to ourselves. And we, my, so it's, I'm frustrated because I grew up in a family, um, I grew up in a family where um, 60 years ago, because it was in the 60s, 50 years ago, my grandfather won the conservationist of the year in Canada and wow. he was restocking lakes. But I remember in the early seventies, him talking about the glacial melt in the Arctic. So up in the North and he honeymooned there in the forties and he was talking, he's been around the Eskimos forever. I've got soapstone carvings all over my place from the, from the Northwest territories 50, 60 years ago. He's been talking about the glacial melt in the Arctic for 50 years now. And he's like, no one is listening. And that was in the seventies. He would be, he died 10 years ago. He would be so upset to see what's happening where we just keep ignoring the reality. Now, whether this is a caused by man or, um, or is just a cycle we're going through, it doesn't freaking matter because yeah, the Sierras aren't going to provide the runoff water we need. We have to get ahead of the curve and it's going to be a massive issue in China. It's going to be a massive issue in India. It's going to be a massive issue in, you know, in places in the U S well, and the weather's gotten mental. Oh yeah. We didn't. We didn't have like these insane hurricanes like we have now. That's a new thing. We didn't I don't, I don't at yeah. This, I, at this level. I'm not sure on the data on that, whether we have more or whether the news just likes the, it bleeds, it leads. And they're, they're telling us more about it. You know, we didn't have social media to hear about it all. So, you know, we didn't read about it in the, you know, the New York times didn't cover every hurricane, but now we see it on Facebook, you know, every hurricane. So I think we may see more of the world news than we used to see. Um, I don't know, but but what we what I mean, I read know, the frequency is definitely up, and the severity is, it? Okay. is up. That's then, what then I it's up. read. Well, but and to your we, point on the media, <laughs> did you see this thing? It was a picture of fucking Anderson Cooper. And yeah, on his yeah, where he's up to his waist, but the camera guy's up to his knees, and, and there's only you know eight feet between them or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, are you kneeling down? Like, what are you doing? Like, right. I, that shit drives me crazy. Well, that thankfully, all of that stuff is being called out now, you know, and we're, we're actually being shown that the media is being manipulated by, by both parties, by all parties, by all fronts, right? And thankfully, I think I heard this at the TED conference years ago was that social media is becoming our social consciousness and the truth is being shared and we don't need the media to now show us the truth. So, you know, we're seeing those photos and we're like, oh, fuck. So now I think there's going to be a calling where... It's, there's a higher standard. You know, it's like guys in the Me Too movement are going to have a higher standard and the media are being called to a higher standard. And, and I think it's good. Well, it's and really on things good. like that, you're like, why do you have to do that? This fucking hurricane was a big tragedy. Um, it, well, because it's not that big a tragedy. I think in some ways, like... Well, you know, people, people died and shit, right? I mean, yeah, but, but how many destroyed. And- how many just died, though, in the Carolinas? Like 16? Uh, there's probably 16 people died in the Carolinas last week of, you know, the flu. Like 16 people probably died the week before when it was sunny. Like the 16 people probably always die. It wasn't like a disaster, like, you know, crushed some of these other places where people are just getting creamed. It wasn't a shark, NATO. No, but it was also like, you know, what did they say? It came in as a typhoon, not like level five hurricane, level four hurricane. Oops, it's a level three hurricane. It still might hurt millions of people. It's a level two hurricane. Oh, it's not even a hurricane anymore. It's like, fuck, the news is starving for viewers and starving for advertising and they're creating it. We're, and, we're they're getting, and they're getting called freaked out. out, aren't we? We're constantly yeah. freaked out. Yeah, I don't watch. I don't watch a lot or read a lot anymore, just because of that. I don't need the. I don't need that dopamine rush. I got enough in my life going on to to sit and read about stuff. Like it really doesn't impact my life if Carolina has a hurricane. Like I'd like to know if one's coming to Vancouver, but 
I don't need to know if one's happening in Japan or, you know, if an earthquake happened in Indonesia. Like, unless I'm going, what do I care? Well, in my case, I care because I've been to most of those places. That's I've been there too. Like I I spent seven weeks in Indonesia, but if I'm not there now, I don't care if there's an earthquake tomorrow. I don't have any friends there. You care about the people there? Yeah, but but like I can't do anything about them, so I don't. I just don't need to read about. Them. I know, I'd rather hear check and send stuff. it to Doctors Without Borders. Right. I well, here's what, I want to know the good stuff that's happening. Can somebody please actually give me the good news out of Indonesia, and the good news in Japan, and the good like? I'd rather send checks to the people doing the good stuff and help them 364 days of the year than wait for the one bad tragedy to jump all over. Yeah. Well, you know, good news doesn't sell, and we, we're a, <laughs> exactly we're like. The clickbait is unbelievable today. Oh, oh, you know what the clickbait is driving me now is the, um, you know, when you, you're on a site and it shows, a, they, they released the video and then you, and it's a picture with like the YouTube little arrow yeah. and you go to click on it and it's a photo. I'm like, you bastards, you did it to me again. Yeah. Or then, and then that's, you got to go like two, two websites deep to get to the video. To like, get to I, it. Yeah. That's really starting to get to me is when they're faking me out with those. Speaking of stupid things on, on Twitter, every once in a while, I'll just tweet out, this is clickbait for my podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. I wonder if people click on it. They probably fuck do. it. Like just this is clickbait. Like and now I want to start trying stuff like naked ladies, boom, burning cars, boom. Like just awesome. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah, this is not a picture of naked ladies. Click here. This is not a. This is not a picture of death. Yeah, or, or or this is naked ladies. I don't know. One or the other. Yeah. Right, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> So if I want to start getting free PR, what do I yeah. do? I, 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 what, what should I, what, what, if I said, hey, I want to start a new PR program tomorrow, what, what, what do I do? Well, one is to realize that, that all of the media um, is created, that there's no such thing as investigative journalism. They can't afford to go out and find a story. And all media outlets need good content so that they can get viewers and eyeballs and listeners, right? So they all need that content. So you're doing them a favor by giving them a story. That's part one. Part two is to think about who are their audience. What what are their audience like? So if I was thinking of a business story and I went after, I'll give you like 10 quick business outlets. It could be Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Forbes Magazine, Fortune Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. Magazine, Success Magazine, the CNN's, you know, uh, CNN Money. Or, those are all business outlets, but they all have very different business viewers or business you know, audiences. I have to think about how my story relates to their audience specifically. And then I come up with two angles, two different stories with five rough bullet points for each angle. I pick up the phone and I call the journalist or the photographer, never the news desk, never the city desk, never the editor, because those people's jobs is to say no. I call the journalist and I go, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I think I have a good story for you. More often than not. You call them, you don't email them? No, because everybody else is emailing them. You're you're like, I'll give you an example, but how many emails do you get from people wanting to be on your podcast? Probably tons. But how many people ever pick up the phone and call you and go, hey, Christopher, I think I have a good podcast idea for you. What do you think? No one calls. Nobody ever calls me. Right. So if my wife calls me. Right. (laughs) My mom calls me. (laughs) Right. And her mom. So if the phone rings, you'll probably take the call. And then, then I'm through all the clutter. And I've got, I've literally got like 10 seconds. So I go, Hey, do you have two minutes? I think I have a good story idea for you. You'll go, sure. What is it? Yeah. And what's your take on things like help a reporter out? I know Peter Shankman really well, Har. We actually asked Peter to write the foreword for our PR book. So, um, I like it. I think there, but again, there's, there's, it's different from the old days. I was using Haro back in 2004 or five. Yeah. Um, when, you know, a link would come out and there'd be like 12 people would be fighting for the story. Now there's probably 1200 people fighting. So. I still do it. You have to be very succinct. Um, and those are definitely people that are looking for content for you to be included in the article. But I wouldn't base your whole strategy around it. I think it's easier just to pick up the phone. Yeah, it's interesting. Old school. I, I actually, the, the way I landed Forbes magazine, the physical print edition, was I was doing a speaking event and I saw the publisher, Rich Carlgaard, sitting in the audience at the event. And I turned to him in the middle of my speaking event. It's on video. And I went, Hey, Rich. I think I have a really good story for you for Forbes. Do you have a couple minutes afterwards? He went, sure. And I just went over and told him the idea. He's like, that's great. Let's do it. But everyone else called him out on stage. (laughs) Well, and everyone else would, because everybody else would send like a a newswire or they'd, oh, we probably have to talk to the editor or we should call the news desk. Why? Their job is to say no to the other 400 press releases they got this morning. Does anybody read press releases anymore? A lot of them are digitally picked up. There's There's a reason to do that in the digital world where 
You can push it out on the newswire. A lot of services comb for that and they automatically publish it and they just republish it as the story on their piece or on their, their sites. Then you can take the story. So let's say I ran a story and it gets picked up by the Rocky Mountain Times. Um, then I can take the actual link to the Rocky Mountain Times and I can PDF it and I can put those on my website and it adds third party, third party credibility. The average reader doesn't know that that was a press release that that site just picked up and combed and you know ran with. Yeah. So so yes, it can work, but it's a different, it's a slightly different strategy of leveraging it versus someone seeing the story. So it's 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 good for that, but you don't think it's good for somebody actually gets the press release, emails you, and says, "Now I want to interview you." You don't. Think yeah, that it's happens it's very as much. No, it's very rare because again, there's 400 press releases they have to go through. There's a lot yeah. of noise. There's a lot of clutter. Yeah. And then from a story point of view, how do I stand out in a world where everybody's screaming and once, once they read your book, now everybody's going to be calling? <laughs> uh, you stand out by thinking about how you can help them. Because at the end of the day, every writer is trying to come up with another story to write about today. And every photographer is sitting at their desk going, I wonder what photo I could shoot today. So you call a photographer, you go, hey, do you have a couple minutes? I think I have a good photo up for you. And they go, sure. What's, what's your photo up idea? Well, I do this podcast and I got like California Republic sign behind me and guitars up and I kind of interview people in this really kind of casual OG shucks way and I swear a little bit and he goes fuck that's cool what do you cover them on well like talk about this this and this he goes that's really cool why do you do it meanwhile everybody else sent that guy a press release and he's sitting going you know no 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 to all of them yeah or they phoned the oh they phoned the editor and the editor said no 400 times and then he found one idea that he sent off to this photographer to go shoot so be a little creative and just call them and try to think and show how you can help them. Like, here's an idea of how I think I can help you because they're looking for a good story. And here's and the thing. I, find, I don't know if this is true. I don't consider myself a reporter at all, of course. And I'm sure as fuck not a journalist. But I have been incredibly surprised since starting Legends and Losers, Cameron, on um, the sort of uh, generic pitch. That is to say, it's very clearly an email they're sending to podcasters. They know mm-hmm. nothing about legends and losers. They have sure. no fucking clue. Like there's right. no, con- so here's my delete, favorite one I got delete, recently, a uh, little while, a little, you know, fairly recently, which is some, some guy from a podcast production company sends me an email and he says, I heard you on, I can't remember which podcast it was, but a, on a podcast that I was a guest on. Yeah. And he said, you were really great. Have you ever thought of starting your starting own podcast? Your own fuck. I was like, how fucking lame are you? Right. Like, I mean, I haven't Google searched myself in a while, but I got to believe it's not hard to figure out. I have a fucking podcast. Well, <laughs> if it you, is, I, I'm doing something really wrong. <laughs> so I, I had a story years ago, five, four or five years ago, I got an email from a guy named Jordan Harbinger. I'm sure you know the name Jordan Harbinger. Yeah. And he's been on the up. show and yeah. <laughs> right. And he, he had a, his first podcast was art of charm. And now he's got the Jordan Harbinger show and, Back when he was doing the Art of Charm years ago, he said, you know, I wanted to interview me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really heard of the Art of Charm. Sounds kind of stupid. I said, no. And then about six months later, I'm sitting at a, at a conference and he's teaching people how to get on podcasts. And I was like, how do you know if it's the right podcast to be on or not? And he goes, you need to go to their website and you need to listen to some of their podcasts. He goes, as an example, years ago, I asked this guy to be on my podcast and he said no. And he didn't realize how big it was. I'm like, oh shit, was that me? He goes, yes, Cameron, that was you. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so yeah, you do your homework, right? You need to know your audience. You need to know the... And, and then if you know the audience and you think about how can I help that news, you know, the writer or the photographer, or the podcaster or journalist, how can I help them with another idea? They'll give you the time because you at least understand them and their show and, and how their idea is going to be a good story. Now you, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you're not necessarily the largest advocate of PR firms and hiring PR firms. I'm not an advocate of PR firms at all. And, and I have some, some really close friends that own PR firms. I've got some close friends that built, uh, that helped me build the PR team at one got junk and spun off their own PR firms. I get the game. Like a PR firm, you hire them for six grand a month and they give you one person for a day and a half a week. Um, so for five grand a month, for 4,500 a month, I could have a full-time person five days a week. And, and I could teach them. And they all tell you about its relationships. Well, after you get through five or six stories, you don't have that many good relationships anymore. It's about cold calling. And it they is just about play. cold calling, isn't it? Well, it is, man. They just play the game. And I remember you saying this to me uh, last time, and it, it really rattled around in my head. You hire salespeople, not marketing people. 
Yeah, we hire, I like hiring 23 to 25 year old females who um, love to cold call. Um, they can get past a gatekeeper. They can handle questions. They can handle objections. They're fine with rejection. Um, they can multitask. They're good with technology. And, and I like a female because they're going to get through, you know, every female will take their call and all guys will take their call. So they're going to get through easier than a guy will. I also think they're way more detail oriented and, and um, just easier to work with than guys are. Now, and you're not being sexualist now, are you? Uh, Mr. I am Harrell? absolutely. I'm, I'm <laughs> swinging back in the favor of the, uh, the group that was discriminated against. Yeah, I'm pro. Yeah, this is going to probably get me in trouble, but women are just better at everything. <laughs> If women could, I've, I told, I've spoken at a group of 400 female CEOs. I was the only male to be brought into the room and they wanted the male perspective on women in the workforce, women in leadership. And I said, if you could get along with each other, you could take over the planet. But the, the problem that goes against women is they really cut each other down behind each other's backs and, and that's what's killing them. But yeah, they're better. I think they're better at everything. I think they are absolutely in the business world better than every single male that's ever been. You know, it's interesting you say that, and this is, the, you know, another kind of thing you're not allowed to talk about anymore. In my last CMO gig, and as you well know, marketing tends to attract uh, women and marketing in tech, I think even more so. Um, and uh, anyway, so uh, my chief of staff was female. And at one point she came to me and she said, hey, do you know that our last I forget what the number was, Cameron, but, you know, some meaningful number of hires were all women. And she said, so I asked HR to kind of go through our open positions and candidates in the pipeline and resumes coming in and all that. And she said, they're virtually all female. And she said, we have too many women. (laughs) We we, we have too many hens in the hen house and we need some more roosters and we need to proactively hire guys because it's going to be too much if we continue to hire Wow. Women. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And it's funny, you I, know, I, I, I don't, I, I, are you even allowed to have this kind of conversation anymore? I don't know. Yeah, we can have a conversation. You know, some of it you're not allowed to necessarily bring into the business world, but I'll give you one. If you proactively want to hire more women or you proactively need to hire more women, whatever it is, you have your job postings written by a female copywriter because they think and talk differently. Um, and then be very careful with how many criteria for the role you put down. The data says that men, if they see 10 data points and they're like, yeah, I got three or four of those, I'll apply for the job. Uh, if a woman sees like 10 things and she doesn't qualify for two of them, she won't apply. Um, women take it very, really? very specific. Yeah. And it was really interesting th- feedback. It's kind of like the guy who's like big and overweight and sloppy. He's like, fuck, I'm a good looking guy. I'm like, no, dude, you're, you're, a, you're obnoxious and you're disgusting. But like, <laughs> oh, look at me, I'm sexy in my bathing suit. No, you're horrified. Whereas a woman, like they, they have this image of perfection. And if they don't fit, they think there's something wrong with them. Women measure against perfect on the, the job description. And if they don't fit, they won't apply. Wow, I didn't know that. So, so the you got to have, you gotta have so women write the job description. And, and be, be, very, be very specific that if you want those five things, just say those five things, but don't put 10. Like as an example, if, if it says you must have five years experience and a university degree, if a woman, woman doesn't have both of those, she won't necessarily apply. A guy will look at that. He's like, ah, fuck, they're just, that's just a rounding error. I'll apply anyway. Like guys just have this weird confidence that they're, that they're fine as they are. Um, so be careful with your postings because you may actually be screening the right candidates or the best candidates out by putting things down that you don't really need anyway. And do you think the, uh, a female who's writing the job spec, whether it's in the front of her lobe or back of her lobe, will somehow understand this more than a guy writing? Not, not that data point, no. But I do understand that if you're marketing to women, let's say that you are a, um, you know, a home services company and you know that females make 85% of the decisions on the home, then you want, to, you want all your marketing material to be female-centric. I would have a female website designer, female copywriter, female designers work on all of your, your branding and marketing and copy because they, they write and read differently than guys do. Huh. And so do you think, uh, you know, if you talk about email marketing <laughs> for a second, should we write a different email? Yes, uh, for men and for women, for sure. Really? Absolutely. This, there, there's data around all this. Like people, our brains just think differently. Women use more emoticons, right? They use more emojis than men do. Um, women drop more smiley faces in. Women, ha- women speak with more adjectives and adverbs. Than, they're more flowery speech. They're, they're softer. Um, guys are, very, are more abrupt. Women are, are more you know, thoughtful. That's just... That's so interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's... I've just dub, read like- about that. I first read about that about 15 years ago in a book by Tom Peters and I think it was Martha Piper. They wrote a book called Trends. 
And the last third of the book talked about marketing to women. I was like, fuck, it's so obvious. Like, how did we miss all that? Um, I never thought about hiring two different copywriters, a male and a female copywriter. I that, that's a very interesting thing. It'll be drastically different. You could, you could say, you could get, uh, you know, just for fun, you could say, take this, this letter, you know, a 15 sentence letter and write it for the female audience and, and have the guys do it and have females do it and then test it. And I'll bet you the response rate of the female letter targeted to the females would be higher by females than the male one would be. That's so interesting. Think you about know, color, right? look. Think about design. Like think about like design. Like what's a man cave look like versus what's a woman's home look like? I mean, give me a break. Like you don't yeah, see well, you don't see a look, look around. Of, <laughs> right. You don't see a ton of guy designers that that you just don't. Like But interestingly enough, uh, we're living in this bizarro time where it's sort of not cool to say there are differences between men and women that we got to treat everybody exactly the same. Yeah. No, it, it may be, but but we can't. I think there's data around the fact that you can't treat everybody the same. You can treat them the same in the workforce, but you don't market. To them. There's no laws around the fact that you have to market to people the same. So, how do you think about it in, in the workforce? Like think about think think about go, go look go look at the grocery store and grab a magazine like any of the magazines at the checkout that are there for female, and look at the headlines, and then look at the magazines that are there for men, and look at the headlines. Drastically different. Right. Look yeah. at the colors. Look at the colors of the magazines versus the men's. Look at they like they're completely different. So if we know that, how come we're not taking that back into our own? You know, I think again, any brand that markets to females that doesn't have a female copywriter is missing an opportunity. Well, it's interesting. We have uh, fem- uh, uh, two female copywriters actually who write most of our emails, and then I sort of they write the first draft, and then I add stuff to it. But mm-hmm. um, and this is a total side note, but. When we started Legends and Losers, a very sort of successful person in the podcast world said, you're going to be 80% male. Oh, with a, with a name like Legends and Losers, you're going to be 90% male audience with that name. Well, do you, so... But now what's happened? Now what's well, happened? So it's impossible to know for sure. Right. But here's, here's sort of my string of logic. You tell me. Because uh, we have very little analytics in the, in the podcast world, as you know. But we have good analytics in the in the web world. So if you assume who comes to the website is emblematic of who listens to the podcast, which may not be true, but let's just assume that's true for a second, and then you sure. assume, you think that's a, de- a, a no, no, de- go ahead, decently leap of logic. Keep going. Uh, and then you assume Google Analytics is roughly, you know, somewhat right. Yeah. We are like forty six or forty eight percent of the visitors to legendslosers dot com, according to Google Google Analytics, are female. Okay, so it, I, I was going just off the name itself, not off of them. What your your copy and your marketing and what is like? What's the rest of so it? So you like, think right? our name is too male? Well, you think about legends and losers. That's a very male, strong. That's like both of those aren't aren't terms that females would probably use. So what should we rename the podcast if we want to attract I don't know. I, more? I would, ask a, I would ask a bunch of women what they think it might be, but it, like they w- women wouldn't use the name loser. It's too harsh for them. It's just not, it's not empathetic enough. And legends, they might say legendary. It would be a softer term than two very kind of strong male terms. But interestingly enough, at least half the women on the website or half the visitors on the website are women. Right. And is that because of the marketing copy or is it the SEO strategy? You know, what, what's bringing them there? I think it's because our logo is pink. Oh, there you go. Maybe I don't know. You know, and my new book is pink. There you go. I've always liked pink and black, though. That, that's, yeah. You know, they're very punk rock, right? And I see. Yeah. Uh, we got these custom socks from John's Crazy Socks. Nice. Yeah, they're pink and black. So that, that's fun. So how do I? Th- so, okay, that's good from a marketing point of view. How do I think about this from a culture point of view? If I want to have you know, a culture that's inclusive, and, but I don't want to be too male and I don't want to be too female. How do I get this right inside the company? I would ask, I would, I would ask, I would ask and just ask your team, ask them what they see, ask them what's missing, ask them what they think can happen. They're going to have the better ideas than certainly than I would because I've never walked in the door but, and probably more than you would. Cause you can't, you know, we often can't see the forest for the trees. And do you think, I mean, this may be obvious, but does half the, just, Say fuck it. Half the management team is female, and no, that takes no, care I, of it. No, I don't think so at all. I think it comes down to like, um, I think it comes down to just asking what's missing. It might be you know more open door policy. It might be um, 
hiring. It might be different hours. It might be, you know, better maternity leave. It might be, um, or it might be absolutely perfect as it is. They might go, God, we love you because you just call it like it is and you say it like it is and you're respectful and we, and we never see, we don't second guess you because we always know what you're saying because you're, you don't sugarcoat anything. So you need to really dig into it if you want to, uh, you want to understand it. Yeah. Like I was, I did a speaking event two days ago in Montreal and about 250 people. And in the morning, I was really tired. When I, when I'm tired, I swear more. And in the morning, um, the morning part of the session, I swore six, six or eight times. I said the F word six or eight times. And, uh, I had a woman on the, the, the um, the evaluation afterwards, she goes, I love that you swore it make you more real. And I didn't think you were sugarcoating anything. I was like, fuck yeah, that's great. Like, cause, but then there's other guys that are like real aggressive with it and it's coming off in the wrong way. And that's not what they like. Well, it's like a lot of things, right? It, it, it's context. Yeah. Um, I think you also, I think you humanize the workplace by just being human. Like it's not a male or female thing either. It's just about being, a, you know, living our core values and waking up in the morning and treating people nicely. And, you know, I, I kind of use the God and grandmother rule. Like would, um, you know, how would my grandmother feel about what I was doing? She'd be like, you shouldn't swear, but it's fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and what's the, uh, what's the God part? Yeah, I don't, I don't really build, believe in God as much anymore. So unfortunately, I'm sure when I'm dying, I'll be like praying to God. But I think I'm more, more believing in a higher power of some sort and that we're all here with some connected purpose. And You are or you're not? I'm not a, I'm not a big... Uh, I, I grew up in the Catholic Church and I think it kind of tainted me against, against God a little bit right now. You know, and this is probably going to get me in a lot of trouble too, but I, I think it, it bridges back to the, some of the culture stuff we're talking about. You know, I look at the Catholic Church, and you just think about this mess, this yeah. horrible mess, right? And Huge. all these, and it's and it's not just in one city; it's like it's everywhere. I'm like, what the hell is? It? Is this like some sick fucking child cult? Like it's disgusting. And we call. Well, it I think it's. I actually think it's obvious what the problem is. I think it's really fucking obvious, and I think the answer is as obvious as the nose on your face. I think it's this simple. I think. When you ask people to be celibate, it fucks them up. And then you put a celibate person in a position of control and power, and that human drive is so strong, it's going yeah. to fuck it's it's going to pervert itself. That's you know yeah. what where does the word pervert come from? A perversion, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, why do you and I exist? You and I are here because our ancestors were good at three things. Farming, fighting, and fucking. Yeah. No, really, right? Yeah. You go back throughout human time, Darwin, all that stuff. Our ancestors were good at making sure they had food, good at making sure they were protected, and good at sure, uh, good at making sure they made other people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why our DNA exists, and you know some others don't. And so that human need to uh, take care of oneself, to feed oneself, to defend oneself. And to procreate is as primordial as anything. And so, I look, I think it's really simple. Number one, you fire all the bishops. You put women in place, or at least, in, in, you know, a lot of women. You have women yep. priests, right? And everybody's allowed to marry. You're great. I, I mean, I don't know that it solves all the problems, but I think it solves a solve lot some. of them. I think that's where my fundamental, that's my struggle with God is that I grew up in the church telling me that that was ours. And I also don't think that there could be one. Like, I just can't understand how every other religion in the world is going to be wrong. Like, whether it's the Muslims or Jews or Christianity or whatever, like, there's no possible way that that all of these people could be wrong. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I, yeah, I, it also doesn't make any sense to me that like, if you believe in any kind of a higher power, like this, this bullshit about like, oh, well, if you don't believe in this specific version of the religion, you don't get into heaven. Wrong. Yeah. That's like, just what? Up. So, that's, so I, I, I think I kind of think we're more in a simulation than, than there's a God at this point. If, if, if I got to believe in something, but I'll believe so it. So you think we're in the matrix? No, I don't know. Like, I'm just kidding. But like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I just think we got to hold hands when we cross the street and be good to each other. And that's why it's so easy to build great companies is you can do that. It's, there's no magic in being a good person and hiring great people and creating a great work environment. It's just like, don't be an asshole. And in some ways I think, and it may also get me in trouble, but religion exists in some ways to teach people not to be assholes, right? Yeah. And we don't really need to be taught that. It's kind of like we can do that. We don't, we also don't need government to tell us how to take care of employees. We can do that because of greed. Like 
the fact that I want a lot more profit means I'll take care of my people because then they won't quit and then I can recruit more. And like, if I create a great work environment, then everybody will be happy and I can make more money. I don't need to, I don't need labor laws to tell me that. Yeah. Well, and there's also, of course, we're all motivated by multiple things. Finance is a big one, but many of us, in addition to wanting to be financially successful, want to uh, have a quote unquote psychic reward, right? We want to feel like we're doing good work. We want to feel like we're solving important problems. We want to feel like we're treating each other well. Like, you know, we don't want to live in a world where we're shitty to each other. Being shitty feels shitty. Like there's nobody that feels good doing shitty totally. shit. That's why, that's why Burning Man feels so great is you just show up there and people are actually nice. And I realize, God, for the most part, back in the default world, everybody's actually really nice too. We just need to put ourselves out there more and trust that because the more that I act like Burning Man when I'm back in the default world, everything's just better. The default world? What's the default the, the, world? Well, that's what we call it. It's like the real world. It's like the it's like the, the rest of the world it's like where we default. We kind of fall back to. We fall back to this, this place. Like at Burning Man, when somebody's walking down the street, you invite them in for a drink. We wouldn't ever do that here, but why not? Like, what if we meet somebody really cool and interesting? And like, I'm having a drink by myself. Why not invite some stranger over to have a drink? And you invite, you don't wait for the, the good looking girl. You just invite anybody over because it's humanity. And, and then, and then they go, Hey, do you want some food? And you go, that's cool. Like, I remember when we moved into neighborhoods when I was a kid, neighbors that didn't know us brought over pies and brought over food and brought over drinks. And we met everybody within days. I have never seen that happen ever in the last 40 years since I was, since I was a teenager. And, and we, we live in a place that is not quite that, but much more like that. And uh, we had a new uh, couple move in a couple of houses down. Uh, they've been around, I think two years now. And when they first moved in, we went over and said hello and all that. And you know, that that's normal in our neighborhood. We didn't bring pie, which we probably should have. But uh, about six months after they had moved in, um, they decided to throw a party for the neighborhood. They literally walked by. The husband walked around. You know, sort of, we're living in two, sort of two blocks that are kind of two streets that are sort of connected. And he walked around handing out a flyer, inviting people in the neighborhood to a party at his house. And he literally said to me, he said, well, he said, we're new to the neighborhood. And uh, so we thought we'd throw ourselves a housewarming party to uh, get to know everybody. We're going to be making sangria on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. Why don't you come on over? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's, like, it's great. That's like, what human beings need to do, right? We need, and that's, that's what happens at Burning Man every single minute of every single day. And I, I kind of want to bring all that stuff back in where you're, you're just no one talks about work. Everyone talks about life and has fun and, and invites people in and is inclusive. And we don't judge based on what anybody looks like because everybody looks bizarre out there. You just, you just include. It's kind of cool. So maybe that's how you build great companies too is you just, you just do it. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to touch on, Mr. Harold? No, man. I want to go and hang with my kids. My kids are, are starting to trickle in from school right now and uh, I'm going to go hang out with them for a bit. All right, Cameron. You're a rock star. Congratulations on the new book. And, Thank uh, you. I appreciate it, Christopher. I look forward to chatting with you soon, brother. All right, man. Take care. Have a great week. You too. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.